Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We talk everything animation here, including Voltron Legendary Defender, which we'll be getting into today. I'm Justin Cummings, and today I'm joined by Jeff Anderson. Howdy. And Andy Potter. Hey there. Today we'll be going through episodes 2 and 3 of season 4 of Voltron Legendary Defender. Uh, if you're just joining us, we already did a podcast on episode 1. We'll be doing a podcast on episodes 4 and 5, and then one on the finale. We have podcasts going all the way back to the beginning of the show. If you want to get caught up, you can find all our podcasts at OverlyAnimated.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by going to OverlyAnimated.com slash iTunes, or search OverlyAnimated on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. So, we had some fantastic episodes here, so instead of a traditional outline, I have come up with a few segments that we will be going through today, and hopefully these segments should cover all of our all of our bases that we need for these episodes. So, before we get into our segments, let's start. Uh, Jeff, what were your overall thoughts on these episodes? Well, I'm a I'm big fan. Uh, there was... Some some fun bits in this uh, season, uh, episode two uh, having to do with um, uh, you know signal analysis, cryptography, um, things of that nature that I have experience in. Uh, so that was fun to think about, um, and some really good emotional hits as well uh, in this episode two. Episode three, huge fan of. Um, just I, I I love political intrigue with the Galran Empire, so. We will, we will definitely be getting into political intrigue. Andy, what were your overall thoughts on these two episodes? I thought they were really good, and I think it says a lot about the season that I think the third episode is the worst one, because because I, I still think it's a really good episode, but it's a, I think I like it a little less than the other one, but the, the first three episodes so far have just been really great. I, they've really stepped it up for this season. I really enjoyed them a lot. Yeah, these, these were really solid, and this is why I kind of feel okay doing them together. Because they kind of felt like two halves of one episode. I don't know if y'all got that at all. I agree. I agree, I, I agree as well. I, In fact, after I, I went back, I was like, I, I watched them both, and I was like, man, a lot of stuff happened in this episode. And then I realized, wait, no, this is across two episodes, but they just blended together so well. It does. It really feels like a two-parter of, like, part one is finding Matt, and part two is, like, Matt meeting the gang, and, like... It really flowed very, very nicely, and it's rare that we get that kind of flow across two episodes that aren't specifically connected, and so I thought that was pretty cool. But it definitely feels like Matt might be taking a leave of absence soon, like going off to help the Rebels in some way and just disappearing for a little while, Mm -hmm. because that's usually what happens in these two-parters like this when we find a family member. They show up for a couple episodes, and then they are safe, but somewhere off-screen. Just, just to spoil after four seasons of trying to get Matt, we're just going to rip it away from people. Well, I just don't... It, that's what it just felt like. It felt like we were really... Because usually you have these episodes like this where we really show what their skills are. We like hit, hit a bunch of moments in Black Sight. And then that felt like enough where it's like, okay, cool, we can push Matt to the sidelines now and not worry about it from a show perspective. I, he might even be on the Castle of Lions. I just don't think we're going to see, see him a ton. That's all. What if Matt becomes a paladin? I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see. I'm just saying, this show might be like, you thought we were going to have two female paladins? Ha! Ha 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 ha! Ha 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 ha! And replace either Pidge or Laura with Matt. Oh, man. I mean, if Matt became the Green Paladin, we could reuse a lot of shots. <laughs> Matt but, doesn't seem like he's as full-fleshed a character to do that. You need no. like, a lot more characterization before that's even a thing that I would be okay with. So, let's get right into our first segment. Pidge-a-Palooza. Which, yep. we've, we've been saying we needed some more Pidge character development. Is everyone happy with our current Pidge character development at the moment? Can we, can we, can we take a break from Pidge for a second now? Are we happy? I'd say yes. Yeah, I really like this episode. We got a lot of stuff with Pidge and the scene with him running through the, or with her running through the, uh, the grave, the cemetery was really, really emotional. Especially with the numbers, um, from the helmet reading the numbers and, and her crying while that was all going on. That was just a really emotional scene. And I was really impressed with what the team it was, did with that. 
it was excellently executed and it was somewhat undermined by the fact that the title of the episode is Reunion and yeah. the thumbnail that Netflix picked for it is then to oh face to face. Oh my god. That so, that I yeah, that was I was thinking the exact same thing. Why'd they pick that thumbnail? It was horrible. In fact, they really could have picked a okay. Consider the title Pursuit, right? So yeah. like, you know, Pursuit of Her Brother, and then also this random uh bounty hunter who I also have problems with. Uh, is in pursuit of them, like it, that would work, and it wouldn't be spoilery. So, yeah, it it is. This yeah. was a, this was a really this whole episode was basically just pitch the episode. It was pitch alone, and I don't mind yep. that. Like, this was great. The use of flashback here was really cool, and it was just a very all around solid pitch episode. Like, because the first couple of seasons, it's like. You got Pitch going, I gotta find my brother and my dad, I gotta find my brother and my dad, and then somewhere around late season two, early season three, it's like, what brother? And it just kind of feels like it's dropped off to the side, and this kind of reminded me how important it was. Yeah. I'm glad you said Pitch alone, because this this essentially followed Zuko alone's structure to a T. It was like some stuff in the present, then a flashback with some emotional background, and mm-hmm. then stuff, some stuff in the present, then some emotional background, like over and over and over again, just like Zuko alone. We just, it was we, really interesting. I liked it. You seem to make it a recurring thing on overly anime where we say, where we say uh, it's the Zuko alone of this show. But I mean, this is even more the Zuko alone of the, like, this is even more like that than normal. True, because we, we already said uh, the episode with Shiro getting back to the ship was the Zuko alone of Voltron. I think this just uh, surpassed that. Yes, yes. I don't know if I'd agree with that, but I'm not going to argue it. I think the Shiro, Shiro alone, I think, embodied it a bit more, because he was actually alone. But <laughs> it's just alone for a large portion of the episode. Yeah. Anyways. Except with yeah. the merchant and such. Yeah, what did y'all think of that uh, that showdown? Oh, that was merchant. really cool. With the merchant? Oh, the, oh yes. Um, no, enjoyed that. Um, and I liked the intro to this bounty hunter um, after the fact. Like, who's, when he interrogates the tied-up merchant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, very, he came across as this season's Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Yeah. I thought he was going to have more of a role, and I yes, and it and just I'm, looks like he's a you know villain of the week, and that makes me really sad because they really could have had something cool with him. Yeah, I was, hoping, maybe, yeah, I was hoping for a kind it, of recurring villain role for the bounty exactly. Hunter. Yeah, I mean it, it can be done well, but it's possible they just have too many players on the field right now, and they got to trim it down. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, see what happens next week. The show is getting you a bit crowded. It is, but the only thing that's good is that there really aren't villains of the week every episode now, which is nice. I'm okay with a villain of the week showing up one time and then, cause, cause other, like the other two episodes we've had this season that we've seen are, they just have general themes in the Galvan Empire is the enemy. There's no like, oh, there's a lizard man we have to fight this episode, just this one, which I think it, it makes me feel a little better about it, I guess. I think especially because we were leaving the Castle of Lions, we were going out to a specific location and there happened to be one Galra there, it kind of felt more believable as a villain of the week as opposed to like Zarkon sitting on his throne. Now monster, go attack the castle because we did it seven days ago and we'll do it seven days from now. Like it it felt believable that like, you know, you're you're out on your own in Galra controlled space, you run into a Galra. Like Yeah. it, It it just it felt more believable and I think that's why I'm so okay with it. Yeah, I, 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 I agree, but I still do agree with Jeff saying that this, this guy was pretty cool, and his introduction was pretty cool, and it kind of hyped, hyped me up for something that was kind of didn't, never really came to fruition. Yeah. So we're all, we're all very happy with uh, Pidge's development. What did you think of Pidge showing Matt everything in the castle? That was in, that was in Blackside, right? The third yeah. episode? Yeah, that was... I actually kind of... Um, I kind of thought it went on a little too long. I, I like the cow joke was really funny. The first time the cow came up when he's like, this is our cow. And I was like, Oh my God, they brought it back. But it, I think it went on a little too long. They could have just jumped to some of the conversations with hunk a little quicker, I think. But I mean, it was still fun seeing Paige be that happy. And Matt's introduction to Allura was hilarious. Oh my gosh. 
Where are we on uh, ship level here? I need. I need We're outside the ship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, it was outside the ship. Um, yes, it was. It was. Yeah, the whole anime thing, and then <laughs> then Lance comes and is like, "No, you won't either." That was when I started cracking up. Was just Lance's face peering out from behind. That was because yeah. at first I was like, "Okay, uh-huh. this is a bit cliche," and then Lance just slowly sliding out was just perfect. It really was. And even more ammo to dump on the fire of um, Shiro being fake. Like, you see them standing right next to each other, and he doesn't even, like, change his expression at all. It's weird. Shiro brought Matt in for a hug. Oh, yeah, yeah, but his face didn't change. Yeah, that's, but it was it's a the good eyes. hug. The eyes are just dead. I know a good hug when I see a good hug, and that was a good hug. I'm, exactly. I'm kind of on Jeff's side here, but I'm not sure if that was on purpose or just they might have missed something in animation. I hope I hope it was on purpose and it was just like we're supposed to see that he's kind of not all there. The spirit of Shiro isn't really there, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. Yeah, so do we, have, on purpose. do we have any other comments for Pidgeapalooza? Um, um, so, oh, go on. I, I just want to say that I'm really satisfied with the fight scenes that Pidge got. I was really happy to see that Pidge, is, Pidge can stand standard ground against a lot of different people here and that was really cool to see yeah yeah i really enjoyed the fight scenes we got especially with the um like these this um rebel group uh trying to you know get the carriers off the surface of the planet um yeah i mean we talked last time about the the need for this show to actually show us what these rebels are all up to um and we hadn't gotten that, so now we got a bit of that. We still are missing a bit of the command and organizational structure, but at least we got down in the dirt a little bit with some people. So that was nice. I was, I was actually surprised that Pidge, one of the Paladins of Ultron, didn't understand their structure. I thought that the Vol- the Paladins understood the structure. The show just wasn't showing us. But now it's clear that, that they just don't understand what's going on at all. Like, they know as little that's going on with the Rebels as we do, essentially, it seems like. Because Pidge had no clue what this, like, transponder she got was for finding her brother. It was mm-hmm. kind of surprising to me, I guess. It's mm-hmm. possible they had to do that to avoid exposition and, to, you know, to yeah. have us, the audience, discover this along with her, you know. Yeah. But still, I, no, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I get I get why they did it for, like, the storytelling. It just feels weird when you think over the show mm-hmm. in general. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the flashbacks with, uh, with her and her brother were interesting. Uh, when they're going over the code book, uh, and the encryption, uh, mm-hmm. that they use. Um, so first off, I thought that, um, her brother's complete disregard for modern cryptography was a bit interesting and suspect, but, you know, they do what they do, I guess. It's just, uh, it's all about the threat model. So if I'm concerned with someone hoovering up all my communication, I want to use really strong modern cryptography that they won't be able to crack. Um, if I'm concerned with a nation state who has huge amounts of resources, like possibly this, this galactic science thing, uh, and they, and they would also be aware of all my personal details of my life, then I think this, uh, this encryption scheme makes a little bit more sense. Um, like they have this, this book that they share very primitive as Pidge correctly points out. And, and then, and still they don't rely on it completely. They layer something on top of that. Um, however, the scheme as described still, I think is subject to some, uh, some, um, cryptographic attacks. For example, uh, there is a, a class of cryptographic algorithms called like ROT. Uh, most commonly it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, like ROT 13, which is really like no cryptography at all. Mm-hmm. You just like rotate all the characters 13 spaces in the alphabet. So like A becomes J or whatever and Z becomes okay. K. That was the Caesar cipher, right? It, uh, no, I think Caesar cipher has a predetermined sus- uh, substitution matrix. So you all, you just come up with, okay, A is going to be F. And G is going to be K, and there's no or- order to it. You just make that up, and then you send that sus- um, substitution matrix along with the message. Ah. I believe so. Rock 13 is just comes with a standard substitution matrix. And the problem with these is it doesn't matter how convoluted your substitution matrix is, it's sus- subject to frequency analysis. So 
once you know that what's being inter- encrypted is English words, you can start picking out like, okay, this it's a four letter word, and the first and middle two letters are the same. Don't know what they are, but they're the same uh, because they got rotated to the same position. And then you can work through and figure out what the sentence might be based on the probability distributions of these letters in the English language. Uh, so that's why it's a uh, it's not the best sound uh, example. Um, however, it is good, I think, if they wanted to, um, if they want to establish a cryptographic channel where the, it's lossy, like modern cryptography, if you flip one bit in the ciphertext, you will not get anything out of that. Uh, that that's the goal anyways. You corrupt it at all and you can't decrypt it. Um, what he's describing seems to be a bit uh, primitive and more tolerant to little fuzzing issues, like little tiny mistakes. Um, there's, there's a lot less information being sent across, so mm-hmm. there's less chance for error. Um, oh, another little funny thing. Uh, if you look at his computer screen when he's describing his cryptographic algorithm, there is some actual code on screen, and there's actually a Tumblr site for this, like uh, code in movies or something, code in film. And I, I zoomed in and enhanced it and figured out it's actually Objective-C, um, there is a URL, uh, there's a domain name embedded in it, and if you go to that site, you can actually visit it, and it's some developer who put up a tutorial on how to communicate between an iOS app and a Node.js server sending out a, a heartbeat every so often. I couldn't find the exact code because I think the zip file he published is 404-ing, and I can't find an archive of it, but pretty darn sure that's his code. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Like, so, I don't even know where where they would have got that code because I can't find it. So the screen so. in the show leads you to a coding tutorial. Yep. That yes, is amazing. See, this is why I scheduled a science stuff segment. So save save some of this for the science stuff. Because uh, okay. I, I knew this would happen. I knew that one of you two would have some really obscure science detail that would be awesome. So, so whatever else you have up your sleeve, science stuff. Okay. Uh, not science though is the, uh, the scene at the graveyard. The yes. gravesite. He, he yep. decodes the code. Cool. But it's interesting. Like they never really get into why was that code put there? Obviously Matt wanted to fake his own death and leave a code that as far as I know, only two people in the entire universe could have followed, according to Matt's belief. Mm-hmm. That is, his dad and his sister. Now, he had no hope of his sister ever getting there, which is why he was so surprised. So that code must have been left there for his dad. And they never really touch on that. So that's interesting and a little bit disappointing. Yeah, do you, do you think Matt was surprised that it was Pidge and not his dad that well, showed up? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. He's like, how, how in the world did you find me? He... That code was obviously not meant for her. Follow-up. Do you think he's disappointed? Oh, heck no. no he, the, the familial bond between these two is just so evident in these two episodes. Like, he's so proud of her, and she's so cool, and like, and, and so happy that he's back. And, you know, just every, every, you know, half, every other scene is like, oh, my little sister, my gosh. And I, thoughts? He would have to be seriously psychologically disturbed to actually be... Uh, disappointed and resentful at this stage. It shows like an Azula level ability mm-hmm. to hide your emotions. Andy, thoughts I, on this? I, I agree that it, it, they're, they legitimately love each other and they're really, really close. I could have done as a viewer with a little bit less of it because each of the scenes kind of flowed the same exact way is what I meant by I was kind of done with the tour of this ship scene. It was just... Pidge would do something, and Matt would be really, really impressed. And that's really cute, and I liked that. I liked that we saw that Matt and Pidge were really close. But as a viewer, I wanted a little bit more variance what I was seeing. We could have jumped a little more to the Galran Empire in that episode, I think, than we did to see Matt and Pidge doing things. That's all I really meant. Right. But it was really, it was very clear that they loved each other. I think it's time for our next segment, Cowtown. Oh, my God. Ooh. That's my sound effect, because we don't have a soundboard anymore. That's okay. my sound effect. This, this was one of the better callbacks I think this, this show has ever done. This made me so happy, because I saw it in the episode description, the uh, the group gets a cow, and I'm like, that's kind of misleading, because they didn't get a cow. 
They had yeah, it. Yeah, they did. They, they, they retrieved it from the mall. Well, well no. Well, no, the no, episode description said they get it in this episode. Like, for this episode, oh. it said the oh, gang okay. gets a cow. They had the cow from the mall. Like, season Now, wait two. a minute. Now, if, I, if I recall that episode, I, I was a bit confused because I thought that was like a plastic cow model that they were just. No, it was like, a real flying. cow. No, okay. It was a real cow. It just never moved until the very end of the episode when it moved once. Okay. That was we, we we were kind of it was kind of implied that was a plastic cow until the very end of the episode. Was, was it Lance who was like, "Where did the cow come from?" or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I I forget who actually picked up the cow. And now but Lance also, loves the cow. Yeah, he loves the cow. But he also Lance was playing a video game system from the mall as well mm-hmm. in this episode. Which was also which, cool. Oh, gosh. I love the scene. Like, uh, all the sounds. They layered on, like, the Windows boot-up sound, yeah. the modem sound. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, it was, it's like, ultimate mid-late 90s nostalgia, like. And, and I love that he had, like, five different, like, um, connectors to get it working on the Altaian ship. That so was really many cool. connectors. Yeah, it was really funny. Killbot Phantasm 1, Journey to the Depths of Demon Sphere. Yeah. It was great. I want someone to make this game playable, and knowing internet fandoms, this game will be playable soon. Like, someone is already like, alright, I have RPG Maker, let's do this. Yeah. Also, Lance did, like, the classic, I'm playing video games, don't bother me voice in this scene. Like, no, not right now, not right now, I'm doing something, I'm busy. Like, just the classic, like, I'm trying to focus, I'm trying to focus, I can't save right now, and I really enjoyed that. They really captured that I'm playing video games voice really well. Yeah. And, you know, I really love his tunic. Like, while he's just lounging around, it looks very, like, fancy and formal. I think not. that was from the mall, too, but I might be wrong about that. So this episode mm-hmm. is just like, Matt's here, also, all the mall references you can handle. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Like, literally, we were one slav away from being in the mall. We were. Also, we haven't mentioned yet, but uh, Allura and Karan's interactions with the cow were all pretty good. They oh, were pretty fantastic. Funny. And then the way they freak out, just... I was like, oh yeah, they're going to freak out as soon as they see what's actually going down. Also, Lance did, like, the grossest thing ever this episode, where he just drank milk straight from, like, out of the cow's udder, which is, like, not what you're supposed to okay, do. Okay, Andy, I'm going to stop you right there, because we're going to... I... I've seen us get some weird feedback for episodes, for obscure things. You're going to upset the dairy people, Andy. Okay, okay. Because some people really defend that unpasteurized uh, milk straight from the udder is the most healthy way to drink it. Like, if you know okay. your cow, like, is healthy, then that it's it's usually okay. Mm. It, it's warm. It's creamy. Like, Lance was right. It's basically a milkshake at that point, but... There were some people who will stand by it. Um, okay, I I'll, I'll admit I've never had I've never had milk straight from the cow, so I'll I'll concede this. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I do not want to start a dairy war of all things. Like let's let's not do that. <laughs> Listeners, do not do not flame us over over <laughs> unpasteurized milk. That'd be nice. If they did, it would be one of the greatest things to happen, though, because I know people would be passionate and they'd be right and yeah. like i just i'm just i i don't want that to happen so <laughs> i rarely correct people's opinions but let's just not insult a pasteurized milk i wasn't trying to insult it was just it it was just strange it was it's a strange gross scene. that's insulting is it yes okay okay <laughs> i what did y'all think of lance's speech to the cow the very it was end a good round second. off. It was a good round off of the of the that whole tie-in, whole storyline. Say this this made me love Lance. Like we needed more Lance moments in this episode delivered in spades. Like it did because we got Lance's reaction to Matt. We got Lance playing video games, and then we got Farmer Farmer Lance. Yeah, old McLance. I, I was impressed I that Lance could uh, milk a cow so easily. I was impressed with that. I mean, Lance likes milkshakes, I'm betting, because Lance, yes. Lance is a stereotypical Earth teenager. So, uh, why would he not learn how to milk the cow to get the milkshakes? Yeah. I've... Also, it's interesting, because I think this is one of the few interactions he's had with Allura where he isn't, like, just 
crushing out on her, I think. So that's always nice. Yeah, I don't think he was flirting in this entire scene with Alora. The yeah. cow, perhaps, but not Alora. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. This just this this made me smile so so much to see the cow back and that they have a little pasture for the cow, and the cow just has a little hut that the cow lives in. And Alora has yep. yet to actually speak to the cow. Like it's been almost she two seasons out yet. They haven't figured out the cow language yet. Yeah, the fact that it took a lot of two seasons to realize that cows don't speak. Yep. That is, that is indeed my favorite moment of the episode. It was pretty good. So, let's move on to our next segment. I'm gonna throw it to you, Andy. Give us our Keith Watch 2K17. This is about what I was expecting. I was expecting a few episodes without Keith and these delivered. I'm glad they didn't have Keith because these episodes are really stuffed. And I think there was no room for Keith to begin with in any of these episodes. Maybe we could have seen like, no, actually no, I'm going to go back and yeah, this is right. This is right. No, no Keith at all. It's right here. Maybe we'll see Keith next episode. I saw, I unfortunately, because of how Netflix works, I saw the title the next episode and I think there might be a spot for Keith in that kind of episode, but maybe not. We'll have mm-hmm. to wait and see. Uh, this, this is not a spoiler. I'm sure you guys saw it, too. When I was leaving Netflix, it showed, like, the generic, like, logo for the season. And it it's, did. like, Keith and Shiro, like, with the screen, like, split. Oh, yeah, yeah, with, yeah, like, yeah I saw that. the red and the black backgrounds and, like, it's not a spoiler, obviously, because it's not, like, from any episode. It's just kind of, like, the logo for the season. But I'm – why is it the logo for the season, Netflix? Like – Did you see it after this episode, the third one? Because I only saw it after the first episode where it made sense to me. I only saw it – I saw it whenever I was leaving Netflix. Like, every huh. time I went back to the season page, it was up. That's interesting. And, and I hope so, it's Hmm. I hope it means we get at least one more thing, at least a mention of Keith before the season, by the end of the season. Oh, he's definitely coming back by the season finale. I think that this is showing, we haven't seen a lot of the Paladins actually doing stuff, but the way they're using Shiro these episodes is really minimal, and makes me think that Shiro being in charge isn't the, isn't gonna last very long. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think by the end of the season, Keith will be back in the Black Paladin, Black, Black Lion. So that is our, what? Also, everyone's, it's, they had the chance now to fix everyone's outfits, but they didn't with Shiro in charge. I just didn't get that out in the first podcast, but they had the, they had the chance now. Because if Keith just got rid of the, just gave up his red outfit, then Lance could be the red, could have the red outfit and Allura could have the blue one. But no, everyone's outfits are still messed up and I do not like it. I don't like it. Yeah. It's not good. Like, the one in the black suit has the black line, the one in the green is green, yellow is yellow, blue is red, pink is blue. Oh, the red one? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> oh, also, did Keith take his Bayard with him when he left, or does... Do we know? Um, I don't think we saw, I'm presuming he left it. So does that mean that Lance has the red Bayard now? I think Lance already had the red Bayard. No, because he was using no, no, no. Keith was using his the red sword Bayard during last season, and Lance was using like a random gun he found. So, uh, who's using the? So does Alora have a pink Bayard? No, she has she has Lance's blue one. So the, the uh, Keith may have his Bayard, <laughs> y'all. Like it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. I saw nothing to say he didn't like. We'll find out. Sorry. Ruin my night. We just have to make maximum confusion here with who has what Bayard and who has what lion. Next segment. No more Baynards. Okay, what's the next segment, Justin? It is time for science stuff with Jeff and Andy. Jeff and Andy, give me your science stuff. Well, I went first, so... Oh, I... You're throwing me under the bus here, Justin. I know, I know rock stuff. Is there any rock questions you have about this episode? Any like astronomical questions? Because I can answer those. Okay. Um, the whole gravity thing in the cave is that accurate? Oh, that makes no sense. And also, <laughs> the magnetic field of the asteroid makes absolutely there no sense. There we go. Unless, this is what I unless wanted. Unless it's like 
literally a deposit of magnetite or something of that nature, like a magnetic rock. But even then, it doesn't make sense that ripping off a panel and whipping into it would connect you to like the magnetic field of the asteroid, even if it did have one. It just this whole seed, like they could have just said there's like a generator in the asteroid, and that'd been like, yes, this makes sense. But the weird like magnetic field thing just does not work. It's just not how astral bodies work. And so I it it, it made no sense to me, but I was fine with it because the fight scene was cool. Um other than that, they might have like weird Star Trekky and gravity generators we haven't seen, but other than that, like the gravity stuff just doesn't make sense. But that's just for any sci-fi show. See, this is what I wanted. Like, you, you act so surprised that I ask you for science things, and then you're like, I don't know anything, and then I ask, and then I mention well, one scene, and you, you're like, okay, that, yes! Well, so, so it's not that they don't know anything, it's that the show is completely wrong in so many ways in physics, it's that you have to pinpoint something for me before I start talking about it. This show just kind of, like, lets physics be kind of whatever it wants to be. I guess is the way, like, it, physics works to an extent, unless the show doesn't want it to. Yeah. Yeah, that seems accurate. Do you have any there, thoughts on any other physics elements of these episodes? In particular? Um, the only other physics thing that I was really upset with was in the first episode. But the, these two... Was it, other the, than that, like, was it in space? Was it like when Keith was floating in space? Yeah, it was when he had the rip in his... Rip in his um, yeah, he would have died. Space. He would be dead. Like, we, we well, saw, like... It, I don't know about that. All right, I, I like it. Science Discord, okay, Jeff, okay. Andy, fight. <laughs> go. I'll let I mean, you go first. It, oh yeah, go, go on, go on. No, no, no. You, you, you think it wouldn't oh. would work? Okay. Right? Well, like, I mean, okay. It, it all depends on the material science of the suit because yeah, it, it, it's possible it does have some self um, self sealing properties. It's obviously very skin tight, so air doesn't have to like gush out of there. And it yeah. is. It, it's not like. Like you know, in, in like metric school bus, where you're exposed to space and you die like that, like no, you can't you can't survive for some time, on the order of like thirty seconds or so. But the issue for me is that his skin was bare to space, and like he should at least have a major injury from that. And they acted like it was nothing. Like that, that seems is like it would just be like a like a frostbite or something. Well, it it would be more than frostbite because you also have the pressure problems there because his skin was exposed. And so then there should be some really screwy stuff with his body trying to push its way out through that tiny hole in the suit, which is kind of disgusting and horrible. But that's what I was most worried about. But I think the biggest problem is that he just wasn't injured at all, I guess. Hmm. This is why I like having you two on a podcast together. Hmm. Just be like, science, go. Like, if you if you know more about it, that's fine. Like, my, my studies are, like... My major is not in spacesuits. I'll be I'll be completely honest. I don't have any special knowledge either. My intuition is just a bit different, but that's all right. Okay. Neither of us no, no, no. so it's fine. Yeah, no. Uh, one thing I, I was I see bit, your argument. sure. Um, one thing I was a bit disappointed in was I, their terminology. Like when they were talking about this cryptography and whatever uh, signal analysis, I wish they would have actually consulted with someone. In the field, they may have done that because they use the word quantum and they use the word frequency, and so um, it, it checks the box for using pseudoscience terms. But yeah. I think they could have done a bit more. Like if I had been consulting, okay, there's there's a few categories that we can you know munge around. There's quantum mechanics, there's cryptography, and in, in this in that field we have asymmetric cryptography and we have elliptic curve cryptography. These are buzzwords that are popular these days. Um, there's also quantum cryptography is a thing. Um, and then, you know, signal analysis, you know, Fourier transforms. Why didn't they use that word? They could have, you know, when they're talking about frequencies, Fourier transforms just fits right so easily. So a quantum Fourier transform or an elliptic Fourier transform or, you know, you can mix, mix and match those and come up with a much more believable pseudoscientific term. And that would have been nice instead of quantum frequency. How do you have this extensive knowledge of, of cryptography? I, I uh, did a master's degree in computer science, and I work as a cloud security engineer. All right, that'll, that'll, that'll do it. Yeah, your your knowledge is much more applicable than these in these episodes. I have a geology degree. Like this is 
we don't we don't talk enough about what's actually going on with some of these planets for me to pick apart it as deeply. Like you actually had some pseudoscience talk. People don't usually talk about like what's this type of dirt we're standing in. Unfortunately, in shows, I, yeah. I, I just let Andy scream about floating rocks, and that usually yeah does yeah, a yeah. Trick There's to other problems. Yeah, it, there's problems with that whole asteroid listening thing. But I mean, I guess they could have like they would have to like it's sitting in the middle of a field, so they'd need to like keep all the other asteroids around it from knocking into their listening station. That's also a problem just because they're in space. But I mean, that's also just rule of cool, I guess, because they're in an asteroid. Space yeah, is I mean, just whenever problematic. You, like whenever, for, yeah. For whenever people like portray asteroid fields in fiction. It's a, the asteroids are far, far more dense than they ever would be in real life. Like, yeah, you don't, you don't get like asteroids they're, playing into each other very often because they're so far apart. But with that said, they're still really dangerous, just not in the way like it's not dangerous in the way like we're gonna fly through it. It's dangerous in the way if, like if you sit there, that thing's gonna be just gone after a little bit. Like if he just sat a listening station in an asteroid field, it'd be gone by like it'd be gone pretty quick. But it wouldn't be like he could put his hand out and get hit by an asteroid or something like that. It's just that it's a really bad place to build something in general. Because mm. mm. things are still, like, those asteroids are still moving pretty quickly, just really far apart from each other. Yeah, it depends on their relative speed. Are they moving relative to each other? Because if they're all just well, a big... I'm working on the assumption that the listening station is, like, they put it somewhere and had it stay there. Because that's what it kind of got the impression from in this episode. Like, they had the listening station and somehow got it to not move because there was, like, stuff all around that asteroid, quote-unquote, field when it was just, like, a bunch of rubble, actually. Like, a better way to call that would be just, it's just space debris, honestly. Not actually an asteroid field. Hmm. And, and And with our asteroid fields, we move on to our final segment... Jeff called oh, one, Nardi. One other thing. One other thing. Um, that too. But uh, the, uh, on the topic of science, but not really science. This whole galactic science or galactic science core. Can't remember the exact name. I think they've put enough hints in this episode that they're a bit um, suspicious that they could come up again in a in a, a negative context, like some black site or like black ops stuff. Because you know, season or next season. Who knows? Probably next season. I don't. I don't think there's. I think there's too much going on right now. But like the, you know, restricting communication between family members. I mean, they're obviously working on some really like classified stuff, but that seems a bit off. Like you usually you trust your employees and you submit subject them to NDAs, but if they break that, you know, mm-hmm. it can be. But you know, preemptively filtering all communication seems a bit off. Um, and on that subject, uh, kind of rewinding back to the pitch um, angle, just a little interesting tidbit I noticed is that in the flashbacks, we see her uh, taking on a, quite a, um, like a feminine pose with her, like her ankles crossed and her arms like held behind her back. Um, and it's interesting that when you fast forward to once she and Matt have reunited, she actually starts doing that pose again. And I haven't seen her do that this entire show. So, yeah. This Kudos show, to the writing and animation team for that. It was it was a really cool moment. I really I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yes, I did call Narty. <laughs> Care to elaborate so, for our new listeners? Yes, uh, I think it was maybe two months ago, even maybe three months ago. We were discussing uh, the very end of season three and the season four trailers had come out, and I was looking through and I saw that there's this scene where Prince Lotor lunges and attacks someone with a sword and you don't know who, who he's attacking but you see all of his generals in the background except for Nardi and they're all horrified so who could who could Lodor be attacking that would put all of his generals on edge might have been Nardi so I theorized as such you can actually listen to it uh, in that episode one hour 13 minutes 30 seconds in um, and then turns out I was right so yay you, you get the Jeff the... was right section you get the forewarning award. Yes, yes. But, no, the that gets into the whole Galran politics thing, which I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I was a huge fan of in Black Sight. Yeah, hit I, us with the Galran politics, guys. I'm, I'm like, a little less interested in the Galran politics, unless you mean, like, I'm interested in what Lotor is doing. Specifically and Lotor. Really, 
okay, like, I'm interested to see what Lotor's plan is, because it seems to be not necessarily in the Empire's favor. It seems like he's doing something that might even be to undermine Zarkon himself, which could lead to some time in the show where um, we have uh, Voltron and Lotor not exactly being allies, but being kind of parallel in their goals at some points, which could be very interesting and could lead us to what I've always wanted, which is Lotor being in a room with the Paladins so they can talk. Like, I'd really want that to happen. And this is it, this just shows how they've, they're so much better with Lotor than Zarkon. Lotor, I'm just, every time he's on the screen, I'm like, what is he doing? But I also don't think they're doing, like, the really bad thing in shows where they just have, like, mystery without actually knowing what they're doing. They have a goal here with Lotor, and I just want to know what it is. And this has all been really cool. The Hagar and Zarkon stuff, I'm a little bit less interested in. Because in this episode, like, remi- like, remind me if I'm wrong, but correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Hagar, like, get back her memories at the end of um, season three? Yeah. I was always a bit, like, I had no idea what she meant by how could I have forgotten. Like, was her memory totally, did she totally forget she was ever married to this guy? Because I, I thought that was, that was interesting. Yeah. And, it's, and it, that's being backed up in this episode where she's, like, studying her Altaian face in a magic mirror. It's like, yeah. whoa, what have I done to myself? Like, that's, this, like, this is super interesting to me because this political yeah. intrigue at the top. Like, there's a lot of ways this, this could go. And she also seemed to remember her cat that um, Narty had, which I think That's, is still her cat. Yes, it, it looks like it, and I'm, and the cat did survive. They clearly yeah. showed that, so I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know if uh, I don't know if it was the cat, but and this whole psychic connection between her and Narty. I don't know. Like, are we supposed to take away from this that she sort of planted a psychic virus or something in Narty that allowed her to like see through uh, the cat or? Or was think, it like, or, or or was was she like communicate with Narty like, on on like, activating her as a sleeper agent? I don't know. I think this was a misdirect. I think the whole time that we were seeing um, Hagar controlling uh, the cat, and the cat was in some way affecting Narty, and so when and I, I think that's what we were seeing because she was actually getting vision, and Narty doesn't have eyes. So I mm-hmm. think that this was through the cat and Lotor just made a mistake and he thought that Narty was under Hagar's control. I, I think that's what was happening. It might be that. But of course it was obviously very vague and we just saw very few snippets of what was going on. So it could, it could just be that she was controlling Narty. I'm just not sure how she would do that. Yeah. One other um, really cool thing I thought about the, in, in the whole Gawain angle. Uh, apparently we have, um, he no longer is Zarkon. He is now Darth Zarkon. Yeah, yeah. He's yes. gone full on Mecha Emperor. Yeah, and his voice even changed like, in the same way. Is this it his did. final form? Who knows? But I'm wondering: is this because he wants to be powered up, or is he so injured that this is like an exoskeleton for him? I, I think that Zarkon isn't completely in control. Like, that was the first thing I thought when she covered, when Hagar covered up Zarkon's mouth. I think the reveal is that Hagar is in more control of Zarkon than we see right now, because mm-hmm. we haven't seen Zarkon move without any helmet yet. So I'm, I'm suspicious of Hagar right now. Are we sure Zarkon is in the Zarkon suit? Like, yes, we saw, we saw him when they put the suit on, we did see his face and stuff. It just wasn't, it didn't look like he was, necessarily moving or cognizant when they put on the suit. He was just kind of a body sitting in a chair when they did it. Uh, He seems to be very, um, like, exuding a very Zarkon level of attitude. Like, for example, when, um, when the, when, when Hagar was like, something is not, is up with him. Like, he had a strong ancient energy and Zarkon's like, he is of no concern to me. This is the exact attitude that he exhibited in episode, in season one. Where he's like, all I care about is the black lion, and nothing else matters yeah. to me. So I don't know why why Hagar would fake that or would cause him to fake that if she was actually yeah. in control. So I I don't know if I. I, I uh, guess I, I guess I forgot that he disagreed with her that one time. So I guess that doesn't make sense then. But it still is strange that he was not moving at all. Like he, we haven't seen him move at all. I don't think. Like he's just been sitting in that chair. Like oh, that that might go to the fact that he might be super injured right now. The only way he can yeah. be there is to help the exosuit. Speaking yeah, he of, is definitely still really injured. Speaking of and mechs, 
Dark Voltron confirmed. I mean, come on. Yes. He's making three ships. It's going to be... It's going to be a Dark Voltron with three different ships at this point instead of five, but but they and they all look the same too. Like the ships look the same to each other, or at least similar. And then Colin and now we we capture Dark Voltron. I got two pilots for you right here. I got Keith and I got Matt. We just need one more, and we have a full eight-person, two-mech Power Rangers awesome team, Super Mech. Like yeah, when are when are the two mechs gonna combine? That's the real question. When are when season is Dark Voltron and season seven? He just just gonna throw that number out there. We gotta we gotta find a smaller mini mech that breaks apart and connects the two mechs, and that's gonna of be course. a whole arc. Is going to find the mini mech to connect the mechs. That's that's just Power Rangers rules. Also, we did get we got we we lasted a lot longer before Power Rangers than normal Justin. I okay look. Here's my thing. I try, I, when I first started podcasting, I was like, Power Rangers! And now I try to only insert Power Rangers when it is necessary. But when you have five people piloting robots that combine into one super robot, it's gonna happen! And they're all color-coordinated. Yes! Like, it's going to happen! I will make Power Rangers references because that is the only logical show comparison I have. No, this is this is. I think this is a logical comparison. It's because that I do or Mini think... Force. Take your pick. What about Beetleborgs? I don't want to talk about big fat Beetleborgs. I'll talk about Sorry. Mystic I, Knights. I, I... I'll talk about VR Troopers. I'll talk about tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills, but not big bad Beetleborgs. Okay. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm I'm scrubbing through episode three, and the moment when. Lotor kills Narti. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Like, the moment he kills Narti, he doesn't kill the cat. He kills Narti. Yes. Um, Hagar's magic portal mirror thing goes away. So It does. It can't have been just through the cat. It had it to have involved Narti. It, but it doesn't make sense that she has vision. Like, maybe Narti was, like, some kind of beacon that let her hold on. Because, like, she was seeing things. Like... That's right, so it, it must Nardi, involve the sensory organs of the cat, but Nardi it must also look involve the, the cat's brain. eyes. Yeah. So can Hagar look through Nardi looking through the cat's eyes? That must have been what's happening, because there's yeah. no other explanation. There, there's no other explanation at that point. What I liked about this whole showdown at the end also was that it revealed uh, the mechanism whereby Lotor has actually been constructing these ships, because... Her, him and his four generals, like, they do not have the manpower to actually build these ships. No. I mean, we can, like, fudge around it because, you know, the very last episode of season three, they, like, oh, the ships practically build themselves. You know, I was like, okay, no, yeah. not really, but whatever. But no, here we show that, okay, it's, it, it should have been clear from the beginning, like, in the Gaulan society, a lot of this, this manpower is provided by drones and, you know, robots. So, okay. Yeah. Question answered. Um, but one question that's not answered is that when Lotor was discussing the plan of how to, you know, scuttle the ship, he said, okay, you two take, take the two ships and then we'll load up the meteor onto my ship. So three ships, right? But yeah. then, you know, we get this huge volley and then we have, uh, you know, everything's going, um, getting destroyed and only two ships leave, uh, the, the theater of action. So I I thought it was that pink thing trailing them was the comet, the last piece of comet they had, but it was pretty small. If that was it. Okay, I see that. I I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, that that was my assumption. They, they I didn't know what it was. Oh well, I'm okay. I'm, I'm single stepping through the frames, and that seems to be just be a jet trail. Um, hmm. And in any case, he did talk about having three ships get out of there. He, so he, where's the uh, yeah. There has to be a comet there, so I'm not sure where they put it. Maybe that. Maybe the comet is still. I mean, well, the comet might still be there and in Zarkon's control right now. And then maybe next episode or whatever, Lotor comes. Hey, Voltron, come help me liberate this uh, this meteor because neither of us want Zarkon to have it. Yeah, yeah, that that, that could lead to that. That's in, that would be interesting. Who knows? But it also, also, I don't think we've talked about it, but a character died essentially on screen. Yeah. That is. That yep. was really surprising to me. Huge fan. Huge fan of that. Like, it was done very well. Like, we didn't see... Like, it was clear that the character died, but it wasn't unnecessarily... Um, the visuals weren't unnecessarily gory in any way. It was very well done, I think, for the type of show this is. 
And it really raised the stakes. I think that this was a really good moment in the episode and a very surprising one. And it's curious what these other generals are going to do in reaction to that. I think, um, you know, some of them look very aloof and just whatever, like that's how it goes. And some of them are very depressed. And I don't know are they depressed that their friend had to die or depressed that their leader, you know, killed her out of, you know, anger and spite. And are they going to turn on him? Who knows? But and this also shows that Lotor, like we've been seeing Lotor as like possibly a better person than like just a better person than other Galra, but he just killed one of his like what seems to be someone who's really close close with just because they were being controlled by someone else. He was really quick to kill them, and that does show a difference between him and other people, despite us seeing that he was a quote unquote better person than other Galra. It was it was a very interesting moment in this episode. One of the questions I have uh, tangentially related is like, now, obviously, when he was put on the throne, it made his movements a lot easier. He didn't have to flip in the background back and forth. But it doesn't seem like anything he's gotten up to at this point has relied on him being at the head of the Gagarin Empire. He could have done all this from the background. So I think the only thing that I think that the thing he needed by being control, what he needed was the manpower to initially procure the comet. Mm-hmm. I don't awesome. think there's, I think that might've been the only thing he needed. Think, and he also needed to get the comet without Zarkon knowing. Cause I think if he had got it, tried to go for the comet, I think I have a feeling Zarkon knew about that thing. He has had no idea how to get in there without Voltron. And I think with Zarkon down, he took that moment to get the comet and hide it from Zarkon while he was unconscious. And I think he kind of alluded actually, to that, where he was talking and he was saying, like, I don't need to be emperor anymore, like, let him take it. And so I yeah. think he was like, yeah, I needed it to get the comment, we're good, we're good now. Yeah, that, that, that was the, that's what I got from it, but again, Lotor has not explained his plan to the audience yet, so we have no idea what he's actually doing. He might have done something with his power as emperor for a little bit that we don't know about, but I just don't think he's at all interested in being emperor to begin with. Oh, no. No, that was always the show. Yeah. I mean, m- maybe he's interested in being an emperor on his own terms once maybe. he's completely dismantled Garon society, but I don't know. And that brings us to the end of another fantastic Voltron podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, you can find out all the info on this podcast at OverlyAnimated.com. You can join us on Discord to text chat about animation at OverlyAnimated.com slash Discord. You can support us via Patreon at Patreon.com slash OverlyAnimated. <laughs> Thanks to all of our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Jade, a.k.a. Jewel. Uh, thanks, as always, to our Patreon executive producers, John Ryan, Steve, Alex, and Andy. Uh, we got more Voltron coming up, and we've got we got Ruby coverage starting. We've got Ladybug coming up in a couple weeks. So, really packed month for us here at Overly Animated, and I yep. hope you all stay tuned. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Sure